A lot of the counties here in the San Luis Valley in the Conejos Land Grant region are, according to median household income, the poorest in in the state. And so we we have a lot of kids that don't necessarily have enough food at home. Some families have lost a lot of their ties to having a garden in their backyard or foraging for some of the wild edible plants that we have in the area. So we have our school and community garden, and that's where we really have tried to reconnect our community with our roots, with the fact that. Growing food is something that you can do, and you don't have to rely on outside sources to get that for yourself. Welcome to Infinite Earth Radio. We believe that in a world of finite natural resources, a smart and sustainable future is only possible by lifting up people and unleashing unlimited human potential. Infinite Earth Radio will not only help you learn from bright, visionary civic leaders who are building smarter, more inclusive and sustainable communities, but you'll discover how you can bring these ideas to your community. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Hancocks and Vernice Miller-Travis. Welcome back to Infinite Earth Radio, where we talk with thought leaders and change agents who are transforming the future by building smarter, more sustainable and more equitable communities. This is your host, Mike Hancox. My co-host, Bernice Miller-Travis, is on travel today. Our guest today is Justin Garut, Executive Director of Coneos Clean Water. The mission of Coneos Clean Water is to build public awareness and encourage advocacy and education about environmental, social, economic, and food justice issues in the Coneos Land Grant region. Justin, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, Justin, for our audience... Um, where is the Coneos Land Grant region? Who lives there and, and why is it important? Yeah, so the Coneos Land Grant region is located in southern Colorado and it was an original land grant that was given to Mexicans to settle the area and it's in what is known now today as the San Luis Valley. So we're just two miles north of Santa Fe and about four hours south of Denver and a wide range of people live here, some of them the descendants of the original land-grant heirs, which are mostly Indio-Hispanos. There is a large um, population of Mormon settlers who came into the area around the same time, but it's a largely ranching economy here in the San Luis Valley, known for a lot of potatoes and barley and hay and definitely the biggest economic sector here in the area. Yeah, a couple of our colleagues live in Crestone, Colorado. Is that in your area or just yeah. north here? Crestone's about an hour and a half north of us. They're in uh, Sawatch County, which parts of Sawatch are in the original Conejos land grant. Gotcha. And so who predominantly lives in the region now? So in the region now, it's it's like I said, a mix of descendants of white Mormon pioneers that came in and Hispanic, Indio farmers and ranchers here in the area. We have had an influx of a lot of Amish lately, so that's another group that's settling here right now. And so you're from the area. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to have the job that you currently have. Yeah, so I was born and raised here in Antonito. My mom's side of the family comes from from this area, the Archuletas and the Jaramillos. And then my dad's side, um, the Garuts, they're from France originally, but my dad came up from New Mexico as well. Born and raised here, left for a while in high school. I, I went to Tunisia for an exchange program when I was 15, and then another one in Germany after that. And 
really wanted to get away and, and, and experience what else was outside of this area. Ended up studying at Colorado College in Colorado Springs and then moved abroad to Germany again after that and got bored over there teaching English and German and was introduced to a, a food project in Moucron, Belgium. And that's when I decided to come back to Antoneto two years ago, start working in food justice and on food security, and eventually got introduced to Conejos Clean Water, was on the board for a while, and then stepped into the role of executive director when our previous director moved on. And is, is food justice and food security a big issue in your region? It definitely is. A lot of the counties here in the San Luis Valley and the Conejos Land Grant region are according to median household income, the poorest in in the state. And so we, we have a lot of kids that are definitely not necessarily, they don't necessarily have enough food at home. Some families have lost a lot of their ties to having a garden in their backyard or foraging for some of the wild edible plants that we have in the area like quelites and vertolagas and piñon and champes. So we have our school and community garden known as Valley Bound, and that's where we really have tried to reconnect our community with, with our roots, teaching kids, you know, how to do, how to grow microgreens. We have a permaculture class for the seventh graders that we're doing, cooking lessons out there, and just really trying to reconnect people with the fact that growing food is something that you can do, um, and you don't have to rely on outside sources to get that for yourself. And how receptive are you finding people to that? People are really receptive. We we have weekly gardening sessions out there once a week, and the students at the school are the most receptive. And, and that's something my dad told me, too, when I came back, is if you want to affect social change and really look at bringing people to self-empowerment, you have to start with the kids because those are the minds that are ripe for change. And that's where we see the most interest and in the kids just you know running out there to the garden and learning about quinoa and purple potatoes and all of these things that are so magical to them because they've never seen them before. Or reintroducing them to these traditional foods like quelites, which is a wild spinach, and verdolagas, which is purslane. That's been the most exciting. Fantastic. So tell us about the uh, Coneos Clean Water and the background of that organization and when it got started. Yeah, so Coneos Clean Water started in 2010, 2011, the beginning happened because Los Alamos National Labs, south of Española, started transferring nuclear waste, radioactive hazardous nuclear waste, next to one of our rivers, next to one of our water sources. And a lot of local farmers and ranchers used the San Antonio for their acequia system, which is the old traditional irrigation techniques using ditches and no pumping from the aquifer. And so the Department of Energy with Los Alamos Labs started transferring this nuclear waste here in town without talking to any of the local municipalities or the local people. People were angry and people were afraid of their health and the environmental impacts that could have if it were to spill. People went door to door canvassing, gathering signatures, gathering a membership base for the organization. That's how we started. It ended up ending in the courts through litigation with a partner, the San Luis Valley Ecosystem Council, and we were able to effectively halt the transfer of nuclear waste right here in town, a town of 800 people. So tell us a little bit about, so you've got the community garden work that you're doing with the schools, and uh, there's obviously been some advocacy work in the past. What, what are some of the things you're currently working on? 
Yeah, so the the food work is is under our food justice pillar. We also have a social justice, one specific social justice piece that we're doing now, and that's called Allies in Diversity. And that's a project that we lead at the local middle school for 5th through 8th graders, creating a safe space once a week for them to come together and talk about gender, about race, about sexuality, about religion, anything that makes our community diverse. And it's, it's a student-led group. They lead the discussions, really forming this base of compassionate leaders in our community. And, and that's, that's one of the most exciting projects that I work on directly. And then we also have the um, campaign right now to expand the Rio Grande del Norte National Monument, which is currently in, in the Taos area in northern New Mexico. And that is a national monument that was designated in 2013 by President Obama. And what that has done is it's protected those public lands from further development, further development such as fracking, oil and gas exploration, or mining, really ensuring that the people of the area can continue using the land how they've used it for generations. And we're trying to add on 66,000 acres that are just across the border, directly adjacent to the current monument, but they were left out because it was across the political boundary that separates Colorado and New Mexico. So that's a big campaign we're working on now to protect those public lands and ensure that oil and gas development does not occur out there on that land, which would be a threat to our water and our livelihood as well. One more campaign is our work around recycling and illegal dumping. We have a big problem of illegal dumping in the area because the nearest landfill is a 75-mile one-way trip for people. And so it's often a hardship to, to drive that and dump your trash out there. So a lot of people dump at established illegal dump sites on public land in the area. So we've been working on trying to divert some of that into recycling, trying to come up with the San Luis Valley-wide recycling program now to help offset some of what's being dumped on public lands. How is your organization funded? We are very grant-heavy right now. We're really trying to work on grassroots fundraising, re-engaging the local community to make us more sustainable. We have a broad base of donors, but the majority of our funding is from government. So we have EPA funding for our Environmental Justice Collaborative Problem Solving Program, which is the Illegal Dumping and Recycling Program. And then we have a lot of private funders for our work on the campaign for the National Monument. So a lot of private foundations, government grants, and then a small base of grassroots donors right now that we're trying to expand. How many folks live in the in your region? In the region, it's around 60, I think it's a little over 60,000 in the San Luis Valley. So that's a six-county area, um, what we define broadly as the Conejos Land Grant region. Six counties, any, how many acres is that, do you know? I do not know the acreage of the valley. I know the San Luis Valley is bigger than some of the states, some of the United States. I don't know which ones, though. But it's to to give you some perspective, if you start at the southern end, so at the Colorado-New Mexico border, and you drive north, it'll take you an hour and a half to get to the end, other end of the valley from north to south. Gotcha. And, and so it's a pretty, um, and you're talking about protecting 65,000 additional acres. So it's a pretty rural area, 60,000 people, very large landmass. So how is the economy there overall? 
Overall, it's it's pretty depressed, actually. I mean, there are high unemployment rates. A lot of people are in the food service industry or, or are in ranching. There is some mining that goes on south of us in New Mexico for perlite and red rock. But other than that, there isn't a lot of industry. We have seen a growth in the cannabis industry since the legalization of cannabis in Colorado for recreational use. And that's been something that some local people here in Antonito have taken advantage of and, and are contributing to that sector as well. Gotcha. You're working hard to protect the, the watershed. Is the Does the watershed serve any other areas? Is the water from the valley supplying any other regions? It is a supplying water for a lot of people down south. So the headwaters of the Rio Grande start in Mineral County here in, in the northern part of the San Luis Valley. And that's why, for me, I feel like we have a duty to protect these waters and ensure that they're pristine because they go down into New Mexico, give life to all of the tribes, all of the pueblos that live along the water, along the river, down into Santa Fe, Albuquerque, south to Las Cruces and into Texas and Mexico if the water makes it there. So we have, I feel we're connected to all of our downstream neighbors and that's a whole, that's a huge reason for, for me and for our group to, to protect these waters, not just for us, but for all of our neighbors, vecinos, vecinas downstream from us. And are you getting any um, financial support from folks downstream in terms of your work and your efforts? We are. We have donors that are located in New Mexico and we also have done some outreach for support of the monument in the New Mexico area. Actually, I just um, sending out some letters to Senator Martin Heinrich today, which shows support from people in the Santa Fe Albuquerque area as well. And this past weekend, we had the privilege of meeting Senator O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke from the El Paso area. And he definitely sees us connected and, and is supportive of expanding the National Monument and as a way to preserve life for the area. Yeah, we've had some conversations with folks working in the state of California where a significant portion of the water of the state is in the north, naturally occurs in the north and is being consumed in the south, about efforts to um, you know, support the economy in some of these rural northern areas uh, financially in, in order to protect the watershed. So I'm just, just kind of curious if any of those, anything like that was happening in your region. Yeah, we've looked at local community solar as a way to, I guess, decrease our dependence on other areas of other energy sources. Um, so we actually have an Antonito community solar garden, which is powering 100 homes. It's small-scale solar. Everyone who subscribes gets kickbacks for that energy. And we kind of like that model because it stays local. There isn't much energy loss in the lines. It doesn't create a lot of jobs, but it creates sustainability for our people. And we're looking at doing those projects throughout the valley as well. But we also see this land protection as a way to increase economic opportunity, whether it's tourists coming into the area to visit these beautiful public lands that belong to all Americans, or whether it's local businesses that start up for rafting trips or for guided hiking or guided hunting and fishing out there on the area. So how can people learn more about your work? So if you're interested in the expansion of the Rio Grande del Norte National Monument, you can go to our campaign website, and that's rgdnexpansion.org. And you can also link to that from our main website, which is cccwatcher.org. 
All right, fantastic. So they can go there and they can learn, but how specifically, how can they support your work? People can support our work by reaching out to their local representatives, whether it's, you know, local municipalities or the federal delegates at that level expressing concern for this area and that it should be protected through a national monument designation. That would be one way to help. Of course, we depend on donors, no matter how big or small. That's another way people can help, and they'll find our donation information on our websites. If people are in the area, we love having visitors and taking people out to the monument area. That's where I was this morning with a a new friend that I met from the Buena Vista area, and we went out to the Rio Grande and looked at petroglyphs that are out there and some of the archaeological resources out there. So that's another way is to stop by and, and visit us, and we would love to show you about the work that we're doing. So the last quick three questions we have, Justin, are um, questions we ask every guest, and they're, we call them the lightning round questions. And so they're designed to be kind of quick <laughs> okay. answers based upon off the top of your head without a huge yeah. amount of thought. If you could implement one change or pick one leverage point that would lead to safer, more sustainable, and more equitable communities, what would it be? I think that for us in our area, we need to have a conversation about layers of oppression that exist here in our area from the very beginning of the settlement here to present day. There's a lot of of unspoken racial divisions and religious divisions here in the area, and that's one barrier I see to the work that if we can come together and talk about it and heal from those wounds, I think we would be more apt to continue into the future for sustainable and equitable work. Yeah, where you are and across the country, we could have that conversation. <laughs> yeah. It would make, it make a huge difference. Definitely. What one action could our listeners take, the average person, to build a more equitable and sustainable future? Oof. I think if you can see yourself connected to every living being on this planet, I think that's where we can start having conversations and seeing the human in each other or the life in each other that would help us bridge some of the barriers we have today. So not focusing so much on your own community, but seeing yourself connected to that broader global community. I think that would solve a lot of problems. If you are successful in the work that you're doing, what will the Canales land grant region look like 30 years from now? Wow. So 30 years from now, you know, with our success, we'll have, you know, every single local family with a garden in their backyard providing food for themselves. We'll have unbelievable landscapes out here on all the public land in the area, 65% here in Conejos County, and, and it will not be tainted by oil and gas development or fracking wells. So it'll remain pristine We'll have have solved the illegal dumping issue and have accessible, convenient trash and recycling services for people. And we'll definitely have a, a community that embraces all forms of diversity, whether it's gender diversity or sexual diversity or, or racial diversity here in the area. That's a beautiful question. <laughs> and that was a beautiful answer. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Justin, thank you so much for being with us today. And thank you, and thank you for the work that you're doing. It's... Uh, we have a lot of rural areas of this country that don't get the attention that they need, and you're doing very important work, so thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time on Infinite Earth Radio.
Infinite Earth Radio is a podcast produced by Skio in association with the Local Government Commission. To learn more about Skio, Infinite Earth Radio guests, or how you can make a difference in your community, visit our website at infiniteearthradio.com or join us on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash Infinite Earth Radio and Twitter by following at Infinite Earth Radio.